Welcome to this week's Eccentric Minute, brought to you by Eccentric. This week's Eccentric Minute is one of my favorite exercises to do with the K-Poly, and that is the pull-through. Guys, once you've figured out about how far you need to walk out with the K-Poly, grab whatever attachment you're using for the pulley, walk yourself out there, and really push your hips back at the K-Poly. From there, when you hit that stretch, really punch your hips forward, keep your chest up, and try to extend your knees and your hips all the way through. And this is where one of the major benefits of using a flywheel kicks in, as it pulls you into a deeper stretch as you push your hips back in, into your hamstrings and your hip extensors, so that you really open it up and stretch everything out in the back. This is an exercise that I'm sure your athletes are going to love to hate, but reap awesome rewards from. I really hope you enjoyed this week's Eccentric Minute. Make sure you check them out at eccentric.com to find out everything you need about the K-Box and the K-Pulley. Being a strength and conditioning professional requires constant pursuit of better knowledge, better methods, and better means. But what if there was a place where strength and conditioning coaches could learn from some of the most innovative practitioners in the world, such as Jeff Moyer, Lachlan Wilmot, William Wayland, James the Thinker Smith, and Kirwenham Flat? Well, you could find multiple lectures from each of these top-level coaches and a few lectures and examples from yours truly as well all in the Strength Coach Network. The Strength Coach Network is going to bring you well over a hundred different lectures from some of the top practitioners in the world to be your one-stop shop for your continuing education and professional development. So hop on over to strengthcoachnetwork.com slash today and get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. That's strengthcoachnetwork.com slash cbasps to get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. I look forward to seeing you in the Strength Coach Network. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Today, guys, we have an absolutely awesome talk. We are going to go through the return to play protocols that they're working on building and developing up at DePaul with Ryan Nozak. After a really quick rundown of how we got up to Chicago, we're going to dive right into the motivation behind this program and then get right into where a lot of the driving factors were when it came to influences and, and different research that he was pulling together to build this template that they have put together for the return to play for their student athletes. But then he's going to share with us the evaluations that he's utilizing um, and where these checkpoints are with each block of the training and, and how it impacts the progress for each step, each phase, and each kind of moment when you're getting these athletes to come back into the return to play protocol. This is a, a really awesome 15,000 foot view guys where Ryan's going to not get into just the evaluations and the tests, but also exercise selection modifications where he kind of has his big rocks and not just when we're talking about the exercises themselves, but also sets, reps, volumes, intensities, the whole nine. This is really an awesome talk, guys. I, I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. Let's get right to it. Ryan, thank you so much for spending the time with us today. Jay, thanks for having me. I'm a longtime listener. Really uh, honored to be a part of this today. Thank you very much. Man, it's just great to chop it up, brother. It's been too long. Miss having you here in July, buddy. I know you've been busy up there in Chicago, but for the, the three quarters of a human being who doesn't know who you are, let's let them know how you got up there to DePaul. Just do a little, uh, a little abbreviated version. Uh, started my career as an undergrad at Penn State, 
at Penn State, I was really fortunate to have great mentors under Cam Davidson, Craig Fitzgerald as an intern at Penn State. Uh, that led me to a graduate assistant role at Tennessee State University in Nashville. While there, I also did an internship with Vanderbilt. That led me to meeting the great Todd Hammer at Robert Morris University as an assistant. After working with Todd for about a year, I went down to UNC Charlotte, spent two years there as the assistant strength and conditioning coach for women's basketball and men's tennis. And then basically that led me to my role now as the assistant director at DePaul University. I'm over all of the track and field squad, women's soccer, men's golf, and then I assist our director of men's basketball, Jimmy Duba, with uh, coaching for that, for that sport as well. Yeah, man. Always great to get some of the ham fam on. Always awesome. I know that he's just going to sit here and be cheesing ear to ear right now. Oh, my God. He's loving this right now, man. I Hopefully, I made his, I made his week. Yeah. Well, I mean, we also can, can say that the connection with Hammer came from Juniata, but also because even though he won't show up, <clears throat> he used to send an assistant down to Vasps, and you were the first one that he sent. 20, 2015, he said, pick up the phone, call Jada Mayo, tell him you're coming to the conference. I probably could have just went on the internet and signed up myself, but I, I, I of course, Hammer made me call you. And uh, you know what, Jay? The rest was history. I came to one of the best seminars there is, met a lot of great contacts, and uh, you know, I haven't been the last two years, but the goal is to make it back this year for what's next year, what's going to be an incredible lineup. Yeah, I'm excited, man. It'll be great to have you guys back down, but what you're doing right now, now, people may have remembered we did a talk about a year and a half ago where we were talking about monitoring and looking at some of the stuff you guys have been doing on force plates, but that has now matured and meticulated into some return to play stuff that you've really been driving home up there. Right on. I'd say that's probably the main passion or like my main driver of continuing education for myself right now. Um, I think prior to this role at DePaul, I'm just like any traditional strength and conditioning coach, just working to get my athletes stronger, get them better for their sports or whatever. Coming into this role at DePaul, the tech side of things kind of really opened up my skill set a little bit. Um, but working with a sport like women's soccer, where we typically see a high incidence of ACLs, has really led me down to this route of how can I improve the life of my athletes through these return to play protocols. So I kind of got involved with um, with this stuff because of unfortunately having these these ACLs among our women's soccer athletes. So basically what le what led me to next was like reaching out to other coaches, just talking with people, figuring out what their protocols are. And then the last uh, six months now, I've been kind of designing a protocol of my own. So let's run down that rabbit hole. Let's see what you've been getting into. Let's talk about how this has really been built because I think that a lot of us you know, we, we all get stuck in this situation, right, where the unfortunate things happen. And right. now I think that really where, you know, Nate's talk in July really opened a lot of people's eyes because he did a lot of things that were really, really awesome and then turns around and said, but we didn't do it well enough and this is what we missed. And I think that a lot of us have hit that spot with, with some of these things where, where it's been almost 50-50 with some of these, these protocols when it comes to actual recovery. Yes, I think as a coach, you need to have, let's call it a template, probably needs to be written out or spelled out amongst you and your staff members. And I'm sure this is a lot of, a lot of stuff that Nate probably talked about. 
and everybody needs to be on the same page among it. Um, some things that I've used as like a background or a basis for what I've personally come up with, I'd recommend listeners to check out the Melbourne ACL Rehab Guide. That's by Mick Cooper, and uh, that's by Mick Hughes and Randall Cooper. Um, I, I think that's a great little like plan that goes through each phase and talks about what they're testing and, and how they're incorporating standards into those testings. And that's basically what led me down down my route of creating our own template for DePaul. Um, you know, Jay, we're starting this right as soon as the injury occurs. So we're, count, we're calling it like the pre-op phase. That's something that's talked about in that guide. And during that pre-op phase, you're going to want to train your athletes as hard as, as, hard as you can. You want to make sure that they are strong going into that surgery. So the effects are going to be psychologically and physically, physiologically better when they come out of surgery. The last thing you want to do is be like, oh, this kid tore their ACL. Like, they're done. We're not going to train. No, we are keeping that process going, training through that. Um, maybe that's a phase where you're not like putting a bar on somebody's back because of like the comfort of being, of being stable and whatnot. But like you have a, you have a leg press in your gym or a, a pit shark in your gym, feel free to hit that baby and hit it hard. But during this phase, you're going to want to make sure that they're going into that surgery feeling pretty strong. hundred percent because I mean, it, it, the research is well documented that better in better out. Exactly. So a lot of the stuff is it's going to come back down to the research, right? So when we are coming out of that that surgery, the first two weeks are probably with your with your physical therapist. And I recommend that anybody who's listening to this really sits down and tries to come up with this plan with their physical therapist or their you know their person that might be in charge of sports medicine because I think the plan needs to be laid out uh, coherently, right? Everybody needs to be on the same page. That's exactly how we went about devising ours. So that first two weeks after the surgery might be taken care of with the PT. But as soon as I can start training them as a strength and conditioning coach, I'm going to start doing it. Um, and the first, the main goal of that maybe first six to eight weeks after the surgery is cross-education. Cross-education is something that we do as strength and conditioning coaches all the time. We probably just don't know the name of it or probably don't realize that we're doing it. And all that is, it just describes the strength gain and the opposite untrained limb following unilateral resistance training. So a good example is coming back from an ACL tear and the right leg, we're going to start training that left leg. There's copious amounts of research showing that training one side is going to improve strength and the other side. And that checkpoint now, when we're sitting there and working the able limb, is now going to be a big driver into how this program is actually going to progress moving forward. But before you move forward with that, are there any like checkpoints? Are there any um, like numbers that you want to have these young people hit before they take that next step? Yes. I'd say like what I devise and, and from that guide as well, it's just like markers of progress. So during this first phase, I'm going to do a one rep max on the leg press on the non-surgical side. I'm going to do a one rep max on the leg curl on the non-surgical side. Our PT is probably going to be doing like a VAS, which is a visual analog scale. And that's basically going to be taken care of to see like how the athletes are responding to the training. Um, but as far as those markers go, like to progress to the next stage, I'd like to try to get to like a on the non-surgical side about a, a body weight. So a one times body weight on like, you know, like a 45 degree leg press is a pretty good uh, exercise for this for this uh, phase. 
Um, but pretty much how I'm setting up that block is like five reps, uh, moderate to moderate heavy intensities, and we're training twice a week. So I like to set it up where we're training on a Monday and then training again on a Thursday. So we roughly have like three days in between when we're hitting that those limbs hard. But how I set it up was just doing a single leg press on the non-surgical side, a single leg extension, single leg curl, a seated calf raise, and then just upper body that you want to hit. And I'm basically repeating that same process on Thursday. You know, my upper body movements on Monday are dumbbell bench, dumbbell single arm row. On Tuesday, it's a seated shoulder press and a seated lat pull down. But again, I'm basically looking at three to, you know, sets of three, uh, sets, or the sets are gonna be about three, uh, three, but the reps are about five reps. On the other days, let's say it's a Tuesday and a Friday, I'm gonna be looking at non-impact conditioning at this point, just trying to work the aerobic system. So if the athlete's able to do some bike intervals at this point, we will, but again, it is more about I don't know, I guess steady state work or just, you know, just getting the aerobic system in general. We're not trying to go beyond that because the main goal during this phase is strength. So I don't want the cardio that I'm doing or the conditioning that I'm doing to take away from that goal. Right, because we, we know based on instruments work that there are some things that work together and some things that don't. Right, right. But I think it's really important that as you're coming back from surgery, you are hitting that. So, you know, the aerobic work also kind of functions like, if you look at this on paper, it's almost like a high-low model. You know, like obviously the high day is not that high, but it's really set up that way. We're we're kind of hitting this high neural strength stimulus on on uh, day one and day four, and then day two and day five are more like low-intensity days. So then, how moving forward do you judge, guide, and, and make sure that these things that we're looking at? are progressing positively for these young people. Definitely, so basically in the next phase, I'm gonna have the same markers of progress. So I'm also doing a one rep max leg press on the non-surgical side, one rep max leg curl non-surgical side. And at this point, I'm fortunate to have force plates. So I'm bringing in an isometric mid-thigh pull. Um, and at this point too, I'm looking at doing more like belt squat like setup rather than like grabbing the bar. Just cause like my population, they aren't always the most um, skill to do like the actual isometric mid thigh pull with the hands on the bar. So being in that belt squat position really gives me like a good driver of uh, a good number for like a driver of progress. Um, but doing that ISO is not really going to put them in any, you know, any threatening state. As far as like the sets and reps during this phase, I'm, I'm still doing the same pretty much like three by five weights are going to be a little bit heavier. What I'm doing on the non-surgical side though, is including more eccentric work stuff that might be like two up, one down. So it's a little example, eccentric two up, one down on the leg press on the non-surgical side. And then on the surgical side, we're doing concentric work. And that's pretty much the same for the leg press, the leg curl, um, you know, the calf raise. And then I'm looking at pretty much the same guidelines on my, on my uh, aerobic days or my low intensity days. Um, and at this point now, I'd like to see like a 1.5 or maybe a 1.5 times body weight on that leg press, on that single leg side. Um, I think that's a pretty good marker of progress to get us to the next phase. I dig that, because I think that all too often, that's one spot right there where people have a hard time figuring out, well, are they ready, or do we stay here a little longer? 
Well, I think every every case is going to be different. So with these guidelines here, you know, in my head, I may have it set up to be three or four weeks, but you might find that somebody is is progressing really well in two weeks, or you might find that somebody needs six weeks. You know, everybody's going to be every case is going to be a little bit different, but I think just knowing that you're actually having this test retest process and, and knowing where to go next is going to be a great step for coaches listening in on this. I think a lot of people may may not already have that set up already. So then once they do tick that box, where, where do you go next? Yep. We're looking at maybe the, what I call the third phase. And this is where we're getting into, you know, our, our solid strength uh, neural work here. So instead of doing five reps, maybe we're down in like the three rep range. So maybe I'm, I'm just kind of switching instead of doing three by five, maybe I'm doing five by three during this range, uh, during this block. I'm still, I'm still including the eccentrics on the non-surgical side. And now I'm programming that on the surgical side as well. So a leg press example, again, I'm doing eccentric two up, one down on both sides. But I am adding in a third lift now. So my lifts shift from Monday to Thursday to Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And I kind of go to like a more of a push, pull, full body structure. On my pull day, I'm starting to include a heavier uh, or a more, uh, if you want to call it functional movement, like a hex bar deadlift. And then on Friday, I recommend that people start exploring options like a hack squat or a pitch shark squat. Um, I think it's important that you're starting to kind of move away from the machines at this point. Um, but as, again, it's going to kind of come down to a case-by-case -case basis. If they can come and do the hex bar deadlift earlier or do the hack squat earlier, I'm going to be doing it. And then I have my same markers of progress during this phase. I'm, I'm doing the one rep max leg press on non-surgical side, but... I'm starting to look at those numbers on the surgical side. And then we are going to repeat the isometric mid-thigh pull test as well. Um, I think this is also a point where people can start looking at plyometrics. Uh, and the plyometrics I'm including at this point are more of like pass rudiment hops, uh, very low-level plyometrics. And, you know, I, I do have to say that our PT is doing stuff at this point that involves jumping. So I don't want to say this is the only jump that we're doing. Our PT is probably doing stuff like a single leg lateral hop test or maybe like a crossover test. But, you know, that that is their area of expertise in this. And they're also handling the balance and proprioception stuff like a star excursion test or a Y balance test. So now when you're you're bringing in multiple evaluations that have different scoring options with them how now do these all kind of you know melting pot together to continue to determine progress yeah i think moving yeah so like moving to like a hex bar deadlift right like i'd love to say that we need to do a two two times body weight squat or two times body weight you know deadlift at this point but that's not going to be the case because we're throwing in a new movement so you kind of have to have a different standard for that uh, on that, I'd like to try to get to like a one times body weight, uh, one rep max on the hex bar deadlift during this phase. Um, but again, I'm going to look back and see how we've done it on the on the non-surgical side during this phase. Um, ideally, probably want to see like a 10% difference between the surgical and non-surgical side on your on your single leg press or your single leg hamstring curl during this phase. I love that I, because I think that, again, now that we can start to put actual quantifications into what we're looking for, now we can start to have legitimate conversations, not just cross spectrum here with sports med and ourselves, but also with the athlete. 
that's why we did this because we want it to be a checklist of sort for everybody who's involved. Um, and, and to know that like, if I'm programming strength work in the weight room, the PT is not programming the same strength work when they're doing physical therapy. And likewise for the balance and proprioception stuff. Cause I think it's really important that the athlete knows where we are and where we're going and how we're going to get there. So the template is for everybody involved, not just the coach, not just the strength coach, not just the sports med, but more importantly for the athlete to have the GPS to know how we're going to get there. And now you know, we talked a little bit about autonomy before. So how much now as they are starting to be able, cause you're talking about exercise selection, you're talking about getting them away from the, uh, the machines and starting to have them hold yep. themselves up. Now at this point, how much of that autonomy are you giving back to them? Or is this still going to be more guiding because of the situation at hand? You know, this is like, if I'm envisioning this right now, it's, we're probably talking about 16 weeks out from here, maybe, maybe 14 to 16 weeks. We're going to start transitioning to our next block, which is more like week 17 to 20 and whatnot. And at this point now, like, if the athlete feels pretty good, they want to start front squatting or back squatting, like I'm going to let them go with that. And that's also like pretty much the next progression that we have in mind as well. Um, so if they want to stay, like if they want to move that hack squat to like a pitch shark instead of like a back squat, hey, that's fine. Like I'm not going to fight them on that. Uh, we're going to explore that option. But I also want to give them that opportunity now where like as we are transitioning back to like this is probably like the return to performance state where we've already gotten pretty strong. Uh, I'm going to give them the chance to pick the movements that feel best for them. Uh, during this phase, like you're probably looking at more acceleration style work too. you know, very short work, uh, five meter sprints, 10 meter sprints. Um, I, I, I failed to mention that in the phase before this, you're probably looking at sled pulls, you know, things like postural drills to, to reteach the athlete how to, actually put force into the ground, uh, how those positions should feel when they go into sprinting. Um, so I think like, as you, you know, as you look at this, like holistically, you have these movements that you can give them, but you can also probably give them some autonomy when it comes to like, you know, how you're performing some of your sprints and how you're performing some of your plyos at this point. Now with all of that, cause you had talked about some of the stuff that Dan, um, does with the jumps and that, you know, another thing that's been really talked a lot about is, is the the role of technique and building that back when it comes to not just sprinting but change of direction where does that start to fit in and where and how are you looking at that when it comes to dealing with this protocol that's a great question uh something that we we actually had a great meeting about this this morning and you need to really delineate who's doing what during the process so um a lot of the the movements that I do, obviously like techniques going to be a huge part of that. Like earlier on in the phase, the PT is probably the person that's, that's really looking at technique to making sure that we're actually getting into a good landing position where we're distributing forces correctly across both legs. Our knees are bending, you know, typically people might be coming back from these ACL style injuries or maybe a lower extremity injury in general, they kind of forget what it's like to bend their knees and absorb their forces. So I think that's a really important part of like the, the re-education process. Um, so it's important that you, you, you know, it's the classic saying of you can crawl before you, before you start to walk and you walk before you run. So you have to make sure that those landings are actually are, are, are proficient before you're moving onto these plows. Likewise for that agility work, like I'm at this point in the, in the, in the phases, I'm probably not doing like sport specific agility work, 
but we're looking at like linear sprints, you know, like no change of direction at this point to become proficient at that before we start throwing in change of direction. The change of direction work may not come for another two, two phases, which would probably be like three to six weeks. But, you know, I think you need to get people doing really great sprints from like a short to long approach. So however that might be, if, if you start off with five meters or 10 meters and you work them out to maybe more acceleration work where you're hitting 20 or 30 or, or even up to 40. And then once you feel probably comfortable with technique at that point, you could start looking at doing some more agility based change of direction drills where, it, where it's super simple. Maybe you're doing like a crossover run into a linear sprint or a back pedal into like a linear sprint. Uh, but I don't think things need to get complicated at this point because it really is about re-educating the athlete, how they should be performing those movements correctly. I love that. Cause I think that when you're sitting there with it, again, you're allowing them to figure some things out, but you have some specifics that they need to figure out before you can move to the next phase. That's what it is. That's what it's about too. I mean, I think, um, Earlier on with those maybe change direction phases, like there's things that I want to do first that I want to make sure that they can properly do, um, given clearance by the PT and and knowing what I can see with them with them doing. Uh, but if they look good and they're like, hey, like instead of doing this back pedal to sprint today, can I do a can I do a 45 degree drop step and then come? I feel like that's more specific to my sport. You know, I don't think that's really going to change the game a whole lot. Like I think that's probably going to have better outcomes than if the athlete feels like that's going to allow them to get more out of the training as well. So now let's look about the next step, right? So we, we've got them through sprinting. We're starting to look at how they can change direction. We're, we're starting to see some of the strength come back. So now we're really getting back into activity. We are um, probably like weeks, weeks, 20 weeks, you know, 22, 24 at this point. Um, at this point now, like, I'd like to see at least like a 1.75 or, a, you know, like the goal would be pretty much get them back to the strength levels pre-injury or maybe a two times body weight. Um, and when I say this, it doesn't have to be like always a squat, you know, it could be maybe you're looking at a hex bar deadlift as well. But ultimately, like I want to make sure that we are progressing back to strength. The likelihood of of ACL retears and injuries in general is extremely high. So ultimately like these athletes need to get their strength levels back. Like that's probably the first and foremost thing that we look at. Um, we are looking at three days of lift three days a week for lifting at this point. And the structure is pretty similar to like what a non-injured athlete is doing. Like we're, we, we are probably venturing back into lift, Olympic lifting at this point, our, our weightlifting derivatives. Um, I'd say in a few phases earlier, we were probably doing some clean pulls from mid thigh. This phase we're looking at some hand cleans and then we're probably doing like, you know, heavy bilateral single or heavy bilateral work, whether it's front squats, back squat, hex bar, deadlift, as well as some heavy unilateral work, uh, RFE split squat, you know, split squats. But obviously we had a progression to get up to that point. I'm not just like throwing that movement back in there. Um, but I think at this point, like you need to have, you need to keep doing that testing and retesting process. We're going to have them back in the mid thigh ISO pool. You know, one of the, one of the benefits of when we have a test like that is, I know where the athlete is pre-injury. I know I have markers on them throughout the throughout the recovery process. Um, and that's why I think it's really important to have an athlete monitoring program set up because when somebody does come back from an injury like this, I have these objective tests that I can look at to know where they are. Um, and if you don't have those tests, 
The other objective tests that you can do are some of those uh, those jump testing that I that I talked about earlier, like a single leg hop test. Maybe you're looking at a triple hop test, uh, crossover hop test, but something that you can repeat and know that you know this is exactly the same way I performed it the first time. So I know that our athletes get better the second time that we're we're performing this. That's great, man. And now, the final product. So where do you see that finishing point, that point to know where we are, when we are, with a pretty high level of confidence that it's time to to go. Yeah, I don't want to say it's like pre-injury strength levels because, like, depending on the t- on the time of, of year that it happened, the athlete like may not have been at their best. And spending all this time when like maybe they're not like practicing as much and they're training with me, like ultimately, like I want to see them be super strong at this point. Um, so again, kind of close back to like a two times body weight, uh, movement. Uh, I'd expect their isometric mid thigh pulls to be, to be pretty, to be pretty strong in terms of uh, force output at this point. Um, at least their best, if not like 95 or 90% of their best ever. Um, but you want to make sure that like in a controlled environment with you, that they are able to do this change of direction work as well. Uh, are they sprinting faster during this time? I think those are all important issues to to address. Like you need to make sure that your athletes can sprint in a short distance before you're sending them back on the soccer field and going like full distance to practice, right? Like if you're not having somebody sprint 10 meters before you're doing 20 or doing 20 before you're doing 30, I, I don't know. I feel like you're missing you're missing some of that progression right there. Uh, likewise for that change of that change of direction stuff. Like it's that it's got to be done. I think in a controlled environment before you're making it more chaotic. So then in that last phase, that agility, that change of direction, that agility stuff is more sport specific. Uh, it's maybe more done reactive where you're clapping for somebody to react or you're, you know, holding up a, a finger and having them cut to like the side that you're, you know, holding up the finger on, whatever that might be. But um, I think at that point, it's got to be, it's got to be done as reactively as possible. 100%, brother. 100%. Well, listen, man, let me get you out of here on this, Ryan. Where can people see more? Where can they learn more? Where can they get a glimpse of what you're building, what you're doing, and, and all the great stuff going on up there in Chicago? For sure. I'm probably the most active on Instagram. Uh, I'm trying to do a better job of just posting stuff that we're doing. Get my, you know, post, just get some just stuff out there as much as I can. My handle is R-N-O-S-A-K. Also on Facebook, don't really use it. Uh, Twitter, you know, I'm I consume, but I don't really produce, so I, I got to probably get a little better at that. But um, definitely Instagram is my main form. Love it, man. We'll make sure that's in the show notes. Ryan, always great to chop it up, brother. Always great to see you. Glad you're kicking butt up there. and Really appreciate your time today. Jay, it's been an honor. Thanks for having me on, man, and uh, look forward to seeing you soon. Yeah, brother. We'll be in touch real soon, buddy. Take care. Sounds good, man. Yeah, man. And a huge thanks to DePaul's Ryan Nozak for spending the time with us today. Guys, just some open, honest, candid sharing. And really, like a lot of of great nuggets. I mean, whether or not you're going to utilize things the same way or whether or not you're going to take this word for word when it comes to sets and reps or exercise selection evaluations, this template that he just provided for us is really, really sensational and should give you an opportunity to better discuss, not just with the sports med practitioners that you get to work with, but also the student athletes you know, that may be in the unfortunate situation of needing to utilize something like this, um, I think is fantastic. Ryan, 
I can't thank you enough for just being so open, honest, and candid today, man. This is absolutely sensational stuff. And make sure you give him a follow at rnozak, R-N-O-S-A-K, on the gram, you know, again, to keep up with everything he's doing. And as always, guys, if you did enjoy the talk, please share it through the social media outlet of your choice, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it may be. As always, we're just trying to get the best information out there to all the great coaches that we can. And as always, guys, thank you for everything that you do for us here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. We will be back next week with another awesome guest. We will see you then.